Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 47. Today, Pippin and I discuss what we've been up to, recent books we've read, and dig into our mailbag to answer listener questions. But first... This episode and every other episode is sponsored by the wonderful guys at WPNinjas.com. Uh, they are the creators of Ninja Forms, Ninja Demo, and several other plugins. And uh, we want to give a quick shout out to a blog post that they wrote just about two weeks ago. Uh, they're getting ready to release Ninja Forms 3.0. It's an in-progress release. And it's looking really, really good. They've given a teaser. They have hired a design agency to completely go through and help them rebuild their UI and improve it and make things really awesome. So... Uh, if you're a NinjaForms user or you're interested in it or just curious, go check out their blog posts as well as uh, all of the other stuff for the upcoming NinjaForms 3.0. Is there any screenshots in that blog post? That, did I see screenshots? Uh, you know, there's not a screenshot in the blog post, but I did find one somewhere. And I'm not sure if it was the newsletter they sent out or they posted it to Twitter, but I've definitely seen one that showed a preview. Oh, uh, and I'm, I'll have to see if I can dig it up. Yeah, I'm not sure where it was, but I'm pretty sure I saw one too, and it looked pretty neat. Uh, I don't know if yeah. it was it necessarily, it might just have been a mock-up, not necessarily a screenshot. Sure. But, yeah. Anyway, looks like they're doing some cool work. Uh, I, li- I like the idea of them acknowledging that there's a lot of value in bringing, some, bringing a professional on who is a, a professional interface designer to look at it. Like, I know that mo- a lot of us in the WordPress world, myself, you and many other people that we know are very much hands-on. We're going to do it ourselves. Uh, and we've, a lot of us have done, managed to do pretty good with that, but you can really step it up by bringing somebody else in who is truly an expert in the area. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see just how much that plugin improves when they do that. Yeah. I've always planned to uh, redo our website, you know, get a professional designer to redo our website and I feel like I will in the future, but it's, you know, we're like three years in or two years <laughs> in. So it's, it never seems to be the right time, you know, but yep. uh, you've done that recently, right? Well, we didn't, uh, I mean, our professional designer came from our team. Uh, they're really, really great. Uh, I think Andrew and Sean are both magnificent designers, but we didn't bring in an external consultant. Right. But I mean, that's kind of his thing. He's a really yeah, great absolutely. designer. So. You're right that we did. We did yeah. completely rebuild the site. Uh, we rebuilt pippinspluggins.com. Uh, Affiliate WP was the same site that it's always been. And then we're in the process of rebuilding Easy Digital Downloads. We've been rolling out like page by page updates for it. Crazy. We've got a few few more coming up soon. And you've seen the benefits, uh, <laughs> reap the benefits of, of that redesigning. Um, for Pippin's plugins, absolutely. Uh, that redesign alone was pretty uh, important in terms of boosting sales, boosting conversions, and had a huge impact, actually. Roughly, it boosted things by about 30%, at least. Man, that's, ma- which that's amazing. Which pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, some of that's kind of hard to measure because was it because of how content was reorganized? Is it because it's prettier? Is it it was one of those things it was very hard to measure and find one thing that made it. But as a whole, it was very successful. Nice. Yeah. So, Brad, what have you been up to in the last, uh, I think it's been about three weeks since we recorded last time. We yeah. got delayed a little bit. Yeah, well, I was sick. So <laughs> that's, well, really, that the, that, that's really why uh, we're recording a bit late. But, uh, you know, life happens. Sickness comes and goes. 
but yeah, in the you know in those three weeks, I also worked on uh, Glot Press, uh, converting it to a plugin, to a WordPress plugin. Uh, Glot Press is the app that WordPress uses to do its uh, translations. WordPress and several other products under the WordPress umbrella. I think like all of them use it, don't they? Like BB Press and I think so. Pretty much, pretty much all the plugins use it too, right? So. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I know your plugin uses like a third third party service. Yeah, we, we use one called TransFX. Right. Yeah. But I, I know I know Yoast. I'm pretty sure Yoast uses GlotPress. Anyway, it's a standalone app right now, and uh, we just thought we just think it would be a lot better if it was just a WordPress plugin, because um, right now it requires backpress, and I think we talked about this all yeah. yes, in we the did. previous episode. And cool. uh, so. You say you converted it. Like, are you done converting it, or is this just a we made some more progress on it? It was surprisingly so. I continued the work uh, Andrew Nason had done. He he did a he created a branch of the main GlotPress uh, trunk code and uh, and you know edited a bunch of files and and just kind of got it to a place that wasn't quite ready to be a plugin yet. Uh, and then I just changed a little bit of stuff. And uh, some other members of of our team pitched in, and, and we've been kind of massaging it into a plugin. And right now, you can install it, and it runs fine. It installs the database. It pretty much runs. There's like a few bugs here and there that we're fixing now, but pretty much, it's pretty much ready to kind of go forward from here. You know, so it, it wasn't really that hard actually. Um, Pretty cool. That, that being said, I guess Nason did do a lot of the work. <laughs> so, and uh, we also, uh, we quietly rolled out the pro version of WP Offload S3 uh, a few weeks ago on August 17th. I say quietly because we didn't really announce it to our email list or on Twitter or anything. The only people that really knew about it was uh, people that were using the free plugin they started to see in the sidebar of the free plugin, they started to see that the pro version was available. Yeah, it's been good though. We've been getting five or six sales a day since then. So um, that's awesome. We're pretty, pretty pleased uh, considering. And the other the reason we did it that way is because it's, you know, it's late August. People are on vacation and stuff. So, you know, blasting out yeah, an email. Save your, save your marketing push for here in a month or so yeah like everyone's on vacation so you know there's less people to retweet and share on twitter and forward emails or whatever you know yep it's probably so, smart yeah well i hope so i got the big snow tiny conf website updated so uh we set dates so so those for those who don't know big snow tiny conf is a just a little conference that uh brian castle and i run in uh sugarbush vermont uh, every year, and this year it'll be January 25th to the 28th. So, just check out bigsnowtinyconf.com. Awesome. Yeah. What about hopefully you, Kevin? I'm gonna, hopefully, I'm going to make it up there for one of these years. Yeah, man, we'd love we'll to have you. It'll be fun. Um, it's probably not going to happen this year, but ah! I know, I know. <laughs> uh, hopefully, next year though. Uh, it's, the last couple of weeks have been pretty busy. I rolled out two major updates. One of those actually just went out today. We pushed out an update for the software licensing extension for easy digital downloads uh, that introduces, along with just some general maintenance stuff, um, a big new feature that we've been wanting to introduce for a while, which is uh, allowing site admins to create upgrade paths for license keys. 
So let's say that you sell a product and you sell a single site version, a multi-site version, and an unlimited version. Well, what if somebody purchases the single site and then realizes they later on want to upgrade to a multi-site version? That's what this feature allows you to do. And it allows them to, to keep their same license key and to then prorate the purchase, add additional discounts to the purchase, uh, things like that. It, it allows you to upgrade, let's say, maybe if you sell a single product and you also sell a bundle and you want to allow someone to upgrade from the product to the bundle, then you can do that as well. Uh, so this was an update that it's been requested ever since day one. It's probably the single most requested feature we've ever had. And finally got it built and it's done and it's live. And so that was a huge relief to, to have that. And so far it's been pretty well received and is, is really an important feature that uh, business owners can offer to customers. Uh, if you've ever sold software or sold anything that has uh, like different tiers on what people can purchase, you're probably familiar with the customer that emails you says, hey, I'd like to upgrade. Can I do this? And if you don't have an upgrade system, then your response is either no, or here's a discount code that you can use to purchase again, which is kind of a eh, kind of lousy solution. Um, so I'm really glad to have it out. Uh, and it should be for anybody that's, that's using it, who does have software that gets upgraded, should be a pretty good asset to the business, especially if you sell software that people want to upgrade to, because the easier you make it for someone to do that, the more likely they are to upgrade. Uh, then the other thing that we did, uh, which is just finished up today, was a big update for our Zapier integration for easy digital downloads. Uh, Zapier, for anybody who's not aware of, is a service that allows you to connect one service to another or one application to another. So let's say that you run an easy digital download store and you want to send customer data anytime somebody makes a purchase to Infusionsoft. Well, unless you have an actual, like a direct integration between EDD and Infusionsoft, there's not a way to do it unless you use Zapier. So Zapier would allow you, it basically says, okay, EDD, send me information. Now I'm going to send it off to somebody else and then do things with it. And you can integrate so many different services. So like just example, you could take order data and drop it into a Google Doc spreadsheet. You could, you could use an uh, the order information to send a new email if you wanted, send a welcome up welcome email or a follow-up email. You could add customers to a CRM. You could add customers to a newsletter list. You can do all sorts of things. So Zapier is very, very cool. Very yeah, one, powerful One service. thing we do, uh, we use it for is uh, connecting uh, Discuss with Slack. So Discuss doesn't, or Slack doesn't have a Discuss integration and vice versa. So we use Slack or a Zapier in between. So Discuss pushes to Zapier and then Zapier pushes it to Slack. Yeah, it's great. We use it for something kind of similar where uh, we have a, a big bundle that we sell on the site of a lot of main extensions. And anytime it purchases, because it's a very high value purchase, we want to go in and review the purchase. One, because it's a little bit more susceptible to fraud, but also maybe it's just something that we want to reach out to the customer because they're, they've just dished out a pretty good payment. Um, and so anytime that item sells, we send a notification to our Slack room. Uh, and there's lots of other things that you can do, tons and tons of options. But anyway, so the update that we pushed out today was one that gave us a little, gave you a little bit more flexibility when creating the, the zaps in Zapier. Uh, so we added in a couple more no, um, notification options. So previously we supported, like you could say, anytime there's a new order created or anytime I refund an order or anytime a new customer is created, 
those were the main options available. Now we've gone in and integrated it with the software licensing extension to say, okay, anytime a license key is created, send a notification. Anytime a license key expires or a license key is disabled or a license key is remotely activated or deactivated, you can do all these things. So one quick um, example that's kind of fun. Let's say that you sell software and you want to keep an eye or you want to set up like a MailChimp campaign that sends follow-up emails after somebody's license has expired to encourage them to come back. Anytime a license expires, you automatically send that customer to MailChimp and put them on a list and that then sets them up with the well, with the automation campaign. And then over the course of the next 30 days, if they don't renew, you send them a couple emails that say, hey, did you know that in the latest version, there's this? Or were you aware that you could do this? Or maybe here's this. Or if by the final email, if they still haven't renewed, maybe say, okay, if you want to renew, here's a renewal plus take 10 more 10% additional off of your purchase. Um, that's something that we're kind of setting up with it. And Things like that is our perfect use cases for Zapier. For sure. So very cool. Uh, I have a question about EDD. So, sure. you know, say I buy one of your bundles and then I see a coupon like a couple of days later. And then I'm like, oh, I totally wanted, wanted that 20% off. And I send you an email saying as much. Um, or how do, like, how do you process those in yeah. EDD? Right. Um, at the moment, it's kind of hackish. Uh, but uh, at, at the moment, you adjust the order total, you put a note in, you process partial refund. There's no official API for it. Right. Okay. Right and there's a, is there any way to like add that coupon to the no. to the order? <laughs> which, is, okay. which is unfortunate. Uh, there's not. Uh, but what hopefully in version 2.5 or 2.6, we're building out that whole UI and API to do that. Okay. To do exactly what you just described. Right. Because it's, it's, it's actually a very common need. Right. Yeah, it is. Um, I just actually built a little thing for WooCommerce for our, for our internal use because we do so many of those, right? People that, right. that come to us after the fact, after they've ordered uh, with a coupon code that they'd like a partial refund for. Uh, WooCommerce does partial refunds right? and so does, I'm pretty sure EDD does as well, right? Uh, we have a kind of half, half-assed solution for it and that's part of what's coming in our next release. I see. What I built was like a little uh, little widget or um, panel, I guess. What do you call those things in MetaBox in uh, mm-hmm. in WordPress? It's just it's just have one field says add coupon, <laughs> and you can add the coupon to the order, but it'll also f- populate the partial refund fields to the correct amounts for oh, nice. that for that coupon. So then you just have to hit another button. So yeah, no, it's great. Nice little addition or a, a little little less annoying to be for our support mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah anything you can make it anything you can do to make the support job easier it's yeah definitely a win. exactly uh let's talk about books what uh sure. what have you read recently well i think we've mentioned this before i don't typically read very many books that are related to our industry i tend to focus in, uh, I, li- I really like science fiction and then I also really like, I like brewing books. So I learn about brewing process, the science behind them and things like that. But uh, this time I actually did, I wrote, read something completely different, uh, which is not exactly in our industry, but it was very applicable. I read a book called You're Never Weird on the Internet, Almost, by Felicia Day. So Felicia Day is a Hollywood actor uh, slash gamer. She's very well known in the gaming industry, She's done a variety of shows, um, 
But anyway, so she she wrote this kind of memoir about her life growing up and how she went from a very weird, socially awkward uh, homeschooled kid to uh, an internet star. Uh, and it was a really it was a really great read. It was, it was pretty short, but it had a lot of I think a lot of really good insight into people that build a business online, uh, especially if you maybe come from a little bit more of a less standard background. So I, I actually had the same background that she did in terms of like be, being homeschooled and had a lot of the similar experience since growing up and then built trying to build a business online. And so there was a lot of really insightful uh, experiences that she could talk about there that I felt was it just a first person narrative like i i i and, yep yeah it was all first person and and just telling her story basically or yep cool telling her story and going through different different parts and different parts in her life different uh hardships she experienced and she's also very much a like do it yourself kind of mentality which i think a lot of us in this industry have where uh, she had before she found her success she had written uh a film script that she really wanted to get produced was going around all the producers in in Hollywood trying to get somebody to pay attention to it and no one would no one would do anything with it and so finally she and a friend just said all right let's shoot in our garage and they did it and then a year later two years later they're at millions and millions of subscribers known all over the world um and it was it was kind of that cool story of while it doesn't happen very often but if you, you work hard and you have the de determination to do it yourself, you absolutely can. Cool. So it, was very, it was very enjoyable. Nice. But it also touched one of the other things that I think was really important that really struck with me is, is not just how we got to the success, but also like the horrible, uh, depressing episodes that happen in somewhere in the middle, like going through six months of severe depression because of the anxiety of having this of, of having found that success and having millions of people waiting on you and expecting you to do things. Uh, I think that was a very, very important for anybody who's running an online business that has uh, found success. Nice. I'll have to check that one out. I've recently finished uh, purple cow by Seth Godin. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard lots of people talk about purple cow, uh, but I hadn't actually read it. But it's a you know it's a pretty short little book and it's just really about um, being remarkable. Like if you're gonna be uh, in the product business, you have to your product is your marketing. Um, you know, there's so many there's so many things out there now trying to get people's attention. You know, it's not just like TV ads anymore, right? And it's not you know print journalism or print print ads anymore it's like ads on the internet and you know it's just there's so many channels uh trying to get people's attention now uh that that the product itself has to be kind of spread you know market itself uh that's kind of the message of the book um and he gives examples of of products that that have done that well and stuff like that pretty good book and you hear you hear about a lot right if you if you listen to business podcasts or or um you know just business people talking um it's often used if someone will often say you know purple cow just in casual conversation now as well so you got to get the book if you want to know what they're talking about i guess <laughs> i guess that's a sign of you've done something right when you write a little book and now people are using that your term as a 
in casual conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's Seth Godin for you though, right? Like they've, he's got all kinds of stuff like that. He wrote a book called Tribes as well, um, which I think people use that in conversations now as well. Um, although, I don't know. I think I've heard that before. Yeah. I think it's like people usually use like marketing list or uh, mailing list, I think, more than anything right now, which is really kind of the tribe. Anyways, we should get to the mailbag. Yeah. So we've got, I think we have four different questions that we wanted to go through, uh, or maybe five. Uh, and so I guess we'll go, go through these and hopefully answer them to the best of our abilities. Uh, there's a couple of these that we've touched on aspects of the questions uh, in previous episodes, uh, but we'll go ahead and read the whole question and then go from there. Right. I'll read the first, the first one because uh, it's it's kind of for you. So, Okay. <laughs> um, so, Jer- Jaron Schmidt? Uh, Jerome. Jerome Schmidt. Oh, do you know Jerome? Or? Uh, I've talked to him a few times. Okay, good. Uh, so, he asks, uh, I'm running a plugin from the .org repository with commercial extensions available on my website. The website is running EDD with the software licenses extension. Because I'm running exactly the same software as the EDD website, my business model is also very similar. Therefore, I decided to look at how EDD presents its extensions inside the WordPress admin. It turns out that you are loading a feed of extensions from the EDD website and present the outcome on a page. Now, here's my question. Doesn't this fall under phoning home? something that is not permitted for plugins hosted in the .org repo. Yeah, Pippin, doesn't right. it? <laughs> Does it? So this is a great question. Uh, so first of all, the, the feed that we display, the uh, extensions inside the .org or inside of the plugins page, it's an RSS feed. So basically we have an RSS feed on the website and it's listing the latest extensions and we simply pull in that RSS feed into your WordPress site and then display the results. Um, if you can, if you want a comparison, this would be a, identical to the way that the uh, the Wor- WordPress news widget works, or and the WordPress Planet widget, the ones that are pulling in articles from a select list of websites, basically exact same thing. Uh, it is technically not phoning home. In order to be considered phoning home, there's a couple of things that not they're not necessarily all required, but these are the, here's a couple examples of things that would be considered phoning home. If you activate the plugin and you immediately send a request to your server that contains the URL that the plugin was activated, or maybe the admin email or other information like that, uh, and you send that back to your server and you collect it, that's phoning home. Uh, if you, before the plugin can be used, if you require them to enter an email address, like let's say you pop up and say, hey, in order to use my plugin, enter your email. That is not entirely considered phoning home, but it's disallowed under the same reasons. Um, the RSS feed is not phoning home because it is simply pulling information from the server and it's not giving anything back. We, there's no log of where those, uh, where the request was made from. There's no information collected. There's nothing like that. It's simply pulling the information from. Hopefully that kind of answers the question. Interesting. Let's move on to the next oh, question. Right. So uh, you want to read this one? Yes. And... I will apologize ahead of time because I will absolutely butcher butcher your name. Uh, But this is a question related to documentation from Hans Helger uh, Berger. Uh, I believe it is a German name and my German pronunciation is terrible. I apologize. Uh, Okay. So anyway, this question is, 
I'm currently working on my plugin, uh, Dicentis Podcast, and one thing I see missing in a lot of popular plugins is good documentation. I personally think a good user guide and developer doc will help every product. I know you both have documentation online, but I would like to know what you think about documentation in general and what is the best way to publish one. Do you use a special theme or a plugin? Would documentation hosted on GitHub be a better solution in the case others want to contribute? Hmm. All right. Yeah. Away, Brad. I think we um I think we already discussed documentation a little bit on a previous episode, but um I, I'll just say that our documentation on deliciousbrains.com is just a custom post type that we and so it's kind of a custom solution. We use search WP to power the search for the documentation, which provides much better results. And that's about it. I mean it's fully integrated into our theme. Uh, so there's no, there's no seams to it. It, you know, you don't end up on a different site or anything like that when you go to our docs. So that's the big advantage of it doing it that way. The disadvantage is that we have to maintain it, <laughs> make sure that when, you know, WordPress updates that it doesn't break or when search WP updates, it doesn't break or, or whatever, you know? Um, so there's maintenance, you know, costs and time involved there, uh, but very minimal. So we're we're pretty happy with uh, I think our docs solution. Uh, what about you, Kevin? A, well, I have a couple things I'd like to add. First, uh, I want to just re-express how important I think documentation is. I think it's absolutely crucially important that you have good documentation. It, it's it's one thing if you have a free plugin that you're just giving away and letting people use, but if you have a if you have a commercial plugin, you absolutely should have good documentation. Uh, and good documentation isn't just for the customers. It's also for your support team, even whether that is yourself or a team of other people you've hired. Um, documentation is so important for that. Uh, so uh, we, we think it's important enough that we actually hired somebody full-time who just writes documentation, uh, which has been pretty great. Well, okay. So we host all of our, our docs on Help Scout. So Help Scout is the ticket system that we use for our support. And they actually have an add-on application for documentation that directly integrates with the ticketing system. And I really like it. Uh, it, it, has some, it has some weird quirks and a few things that are not great about it. But overall, it's really good for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it directly integrates with the ticketing system. So like linking, linking to a ticket, linking to a piece of documentation from a support ticket is really easy. Uh, we also get full statistics on it. Uh, and we get statistics that kind of relate it to our support request, um, which is kind of nice. Uh, we used to use a custom post type along with search WP for our documentation. And we ended up uh, moving to help scout for a couple of reasons. The, the first was simply that what well, I kind of going off of what you said, Brad, that you have to maintain it. If it's on your website, you have to maintain it. And that's not just maintaining the documentation. That means you're maintaining the, the theme templates. You're maintaining the post type. You're maintaining, maintaining everything related to the display of that documentation. And we just made the decision that, look, we need to write the documentation, not spend time building the, the system that displays the documentation was kind of the biggest uh, deciding factor for us. There is another aspect to it that is, uh, it's not very often that it becomes a benefit. And sometimes it can be a, a negative, but I like it. Uh, because we have our documentation on a separate website, if our sales site goes down, our docs are still live. On the flip side, if our ticketing system goes down, our docs are dead too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. there's plus and minuses of it. Um, 
So one another part of the question was, would documentation hosted on GitHub be a better solution in case others want to contribute? That's a pretty good point. I mean, that would be a nice a nice benefit. Um, or if maybe even if your documentation was a wiki uh, instead, right? Like you used a media wiki, uh, the same software that powers Wikipedia. I do really like wikis, and I really like, um, I mean, GitHub has their own wiki for documentation. Yeah, so, it's pretty basic, it's, though. I, I, We do use it for some internal stuff, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, you know, it's pretty nice. You can use Markdown and stuff. One thing I hate about it, though, is that you can't easily add images to uh, the documentation. Yeah, that's you, annoying. You have to upload them somewhere else and then embed, and then put the, you know, the embed code or whatever. The I mark, don't. You know. I don't know of any any solution whether it's Help Scout Docs, custom post type, GitHub, or whatever documentation platform you choose is always going to be better or worse than another. I think it really depends on what you feel is necessary, what you like, what you have available to you. To kind of answer the question a little bit better, when like related to hosting Docs and GitHub, I do love the idea of other people contributing to Docs. But I think that that is actually very rarely going to happen unless you have very developer-oriented docs. So maybe host your developer docs on GitHub. Yeah. But I wouldn't worry as much about hosting customer docs on if GitHub. You, if you think about like co- the codex, the WordPress codex, right? Um, mm-hmm. If there's anything in there out of date and you're reviewing it um, and you're a developer, you might just you know update it just on right. a whim because, so that the next time you come by, you don't have to see the out-of-date information. Yeah, I think it works really well in that situation for a project. Like, it would probably work well for for EDD actually, because I mean, you're, you're we we considered putting our dev docs there. Uh, yeah. We ultimately just decided that we wanted to have them all in one place, and yeah. so we didn't. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Should we go to the next one? Let's go to the next one. What's this one? Uh, conferences. So Kevin asks. Can you suggest some WordPress-related conferences that you would recommend for the remaining of 2015, especially anyone in California or Vegas? Well, uh, Pippin, you want to handle this? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, anytime you want to look for a WordPress conference, uh, one of the first conferences you're going to look for is WordCamp, just because they're the most prevalent. They're all over the world. They happen almost every single weekend. So I would simply, I would start by going to just WordCamp.org. And then there's a little widget on the homepage that says upcoming WordCamps. And there's also a schedule up in the main menu where you can go and see all the WordCamps around the world that are happening. Uh, There is a uh, WordCamp Vegas is happening September 19 and 20. So that's coming up really soon. I don't know if they're sold out, if they still have tickets available or not, but that would definitely be one to look for. There are dozens of WordCamps coming up in 2015 still. They're all there's all over the country, all over the world. So for since he's in the U.S., uh, Los Angeles is September 26, 27. Um, then there's WordCamp Tampa, Rhode Island, Omaha, Raleigh, uh, Ann Arbor, New York City, tons of others, and there's a bunch of international ones as well. So I would start there. Right. Um, what about other ones that he could go to? Well, there's Prestige, uh, but there's no, not currently, as far as I know, uh, there's not currently another Prestige scheduled yet, but they do seem to happen every few months now. So I would get yourself on the their email list at prestigeconf.com and you never know, they might end up in LA or, or you know, in, your, in Vegas maybe. 
Pressnomics is coming up in Phoenix in March 3rd to the 4th. And that uh, that's mostly a business business related conference, but it's the business of WordPress. Um, is Prestige the business of WordPress as well? I think I believe yeah. it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, and uh, that one I think is sold out because it just sold out today, September first. So, uh, but there's probably going to be some tickets released later on for right. WordPress. Yeah. I, at least I, this might be small groups. The other place you should look is meetup.com because they have, there's loads of WordPress uh, meetup groups that meet usually monthly. Uh, So you can check those out. They're not really conferences so much, but, um, you know, still same idea, right? (laughs) Meeting people, chatting about WordPress, so. I think they're a great way to, if if you have a local WordCamp in your area and it's not at the right time of year for you or you're not able to go, go to the local meetup group and it's usually a lot of the same people. Uh, usually the meetups are organized or at least partially organized by the same people that organize the WordCamps. So it can definitely be a great way to get started. There you go. All right. Let's move on to Max Sperando had a question about naming plugins. So he says, WordPress plugin naming do's and don'ts. I'm currently working on a plugin for a payment processor for EDD, as well as general WordPress. I'm using the freemium route with a light version and a pro version. I'm apprehensive about naming the plugin incorrectly, as I don't want my marketing efforts to suffer, and I don't want to have copycats release a similar plugin and steal my juice. <laughs> juice. Uh, Brad, do you want to start with this? Juice, indeed. I just want to say that I'm looking at our Google Doc here, and Google does not recognize plugin as a word. As, Which <laughs> as is- a... As a single word, it's pl- unfortunate. It's suggesting plug and in. <laughs> awesome. I find iOS always corrects it for me too, to to either plug dash in or plug and in or something like that. Jeez, we got to do something about that. <laughs> it's a pretty common. Come on, word. come on, you can do better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> naming naming products isn't easy. Hey, hold on, let's that. let's let's preface this before you answer real quick. Because you've actually been in a case where you had uh, to defend a name, correct? Uh, or you defended a trademark? I kind yeah. It, <laughs> that was a tricky one because, okay. yeah. It, it, so what happened is someone forked my plugin on GitHub, uh, the, the free version on GitHub, and then replaced it with the pro version. And we're That's still... Right like promoting it as WP Migrate DB, which I own the trademark trademark right. for. So that that would kind of go again in the idea of uh, where Max asked what he doesn't want somebody to have a copycat and then release a plugin and steal his thunder. But yeah. Anyway, oh sorry. Sorry. I mean that's that's why you want a trademark, right? To to prevent so that you have recourse for against copycats using your name, right? That's Certainly. that's why you want it. But um, in terms of naming the plugin, uh, you don't want to use someone else's trademark is the first thing you don't want to do. So a good example of this is the plugin we just released, we had to rename because the free version, I, uh, I had named it uh, Amazon S3 and CloudFront, <laughs> which is the exact name, uh, trademarks of Amazon's, Amazon Web Services uh, products. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't. Uh, launch a product with that name and, and then defend it, right? And, and I probably would have attracted uh, negative attention from Amazon and maybe a, a legal letter from their legal department. So 
I had to rename it uh, to something that completely does not have other, you know, Amazon's trademarks or WordPress's trademarks in it. Uh, so that's like the first don't. Uh, and then I would say just choose something simple that's easy to spell and easy to pronounce and say aloud um, because you're going to be talking about it. <laughs> you don't want to, when you're at a conference or something, you don't want to be stumbling over the words or, and you don't want other people when they, when they're trying to talk about it, stumbling over the words. Uh, and you don't want people misspelling it. Um, and especially when they're trying to search for it. So th that's why it needs to be easy to spell. Um, yep. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So uh, maybe, do you have a couple of do's and don'ts? I do. Uh, so one of them kind of goes along with what you just said about making it simple and easy to spell. Uh, and that is pay attention to what your name abbreviates as uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you're probably going to abbreviate your name to use as your prefixes for functions or class names uh, or maybe your option names or your database, something like that. Uh, and there are certain abbreviations that you just don't necessarily want to have happen. Um, so sometimes abbreviations sound sound bad or they don't sound as good as you want them to. Um, I have a perfect example of that. Uh, easy Digital Downloads abbreviates to EDD, which a lot of people immediately go to things like ED, like the, the well-known erectile dysfunction abbreviation, which is awesome. <laughs> Um, whoops, didn't think about that well enough. Um, so pay attention, think about what it, what it abbreviates to. Um, and then another is make sure that you know the rules for where you're hosting the plugin. So like, for example, if you're hosting a wordpress.org, we actually have rules based on what we will allow you to name your plugin, uh, because there are names we have to, when we're managing a whole bunch of plugins, if, if we have somebody who submitted a plugin and it has a name that someone else feels violates a trademark or is hurting their branding or whatever, we have to work with those people to work, to work it out. So we have rules about what we will not allow in the repository. And these actually are just recently updated. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. So you are no longer allowed to use a trademark name in a plugin name on the repository. It's not a hundred percent, but it's huge. It's it, these are, these are kind of the guidelines to go by. So for example, we no longer per allow you people to submit, uh, WooCommerce MailChimp integration. Both WooCommerce and MailChimp are trademark names. We might, however, allow someone to do newsletter integration through MailChimp for WooCommerce. Much longer name, but like that kind of idea. Uh, so you need to make sure that you know where the, what the rules are for where you're hosting it, whether that's WordPress.org, that's Code Canyon, it's your own website. Um, pay attention to what those are, see what they are. Um, if you're hosting it on your own website, then maybe just go back to the previous things about avoiding trademarks, make it simple, make it easy to sell out and know what you're abbreviating. I, I will mention one more thing about trademarks that I ran into. Um, and that is if, if you're, if the name of the product or specifically if the name that you're trying to trademark describes what it is doing, whatever, you know, what the software does, for example, in this, in this case it would be software. Um, so in, in my case, it was migrating the database. That's what the software does, but it's also in the name. Uh, that's a problem. Um, so, uh, I can't remember. Well, it's exactly. usually a problem for getting it trademarked. Yes. That's what I'm saying. It, ah, yes. You have to declare that. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly. See, this is why I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> 
But I, I remember there was a problem be- because of that, that the thing mm-hmm. described it. And so with our new product, I tried to like describe it less. <laughs> right. Uh, we ran into that trying to trademark easy digital downloads. Right. Because it, it describes the action or describes the event. Do you remember uh, why it was a problem? Like what, what the problem was exactly? Uh, I think it basically it's because it becomes too generic. So right. you, we can't say easy digital downloads as a product name because you, as, a, as a trademark product name because then you have other people that will say this software makes easy digital downloads simple. Right. Whoops. Yeah. So another thing when you think about naming your plugin is Make sure that if it's something that you do want to consider trademarking in the future, make sure you can trademark it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty important. Okay, uh, shall we move on to our last question? Yeah, sure. Uh, right. So this one is from Max Wild. He says, I am a WP theme and plugin developer, recently finished two plugins for a colleague that I would, that I would like to promote and hopefully sell. Loved the last episode about business models. Interested to hear your stories regarding how you started selling your first plugins. Also, any tips for taking a plugin you use on your own projects and make it distributable either with WordPress.org or somewhere like Code Canyon? I think this is a perfect example of the situation that a lot of us found ourselves in before we got into selling commercial plugins. Um, and that's you, you build a plugin for yourself or you build a plugin for someone else. Um, and then you end up wanting to distribute that. Now, I know that we've we've answered, we've, we've kind of told some of our stories about how we got, we first got started with selling plugins. We might skip over that a little bit. Uh, you can find them in some of the previous episodes, especially the business model episodes. Uh, I think we've had three or four of those. But I would definitely like to address the um where you ask for any tips on taking a plugin you use on your own projects and making it distributable. Uh, so this is this is exactly, I'll, I'll least answer for myself, this is exactly how I got started uh, with selling commercial plugins. I, I had a couple of plugins that I built for clients, and then those got turned into commercial plugins, and then I had plugins that I built for myself, and those turned into commercial plugins. Um, and I, I think these kind of projects are really, really great candidates for getting you started in commercial um, or not even necessarily, it doesn't have to be commercial. It could also be free, just release basically plugins that are publicly released. Um, I think they're great for that because building it for yourself or building it for a client allows you to focus on very specific features. So you get to focus on the needs and it says, okay, I need, or my customer needs X, Y, and Z. So we're going to build those and we're going to build those exact features. When you build a plugin for public release, you don't have that freedom, uh, because typically at least, um, because you're building it and trying to keep in mind, well, they might want to do it this way, but someone else is going to want to do it this way. And you have to make things a lot more generalized, a lot more flexible. Um, but yeah. so if you start by building your own, you get to build that foundation first and yeah. then expand it later. A good example is like settings. Right. If you're oh, just yeah. building it for yourself, you can probably stick your settings in the code and that'd be fine. Right. But if you're building it for other people to use, that's not exactly a great user experience. Right. Right. To have to go into the code and edit the code to, to get things to change. Uh, I think, you know, an so, example of that setting is like if you have anything that sends emails and if you've written it for yourself, you're just going to hard code that email directly into the code. Yeah. But you're going to have to have a setting for it 
when you release it publicly. Um, yeah. Brad, did any of your plugins start as personal projects or ones that you did for a client? Uh, the Well, the Amazon one was kind of, yeah, I mean, that was one we did. But I, it was one I had forked already, so... So it was already kind of ready for public consumption. Okay. Um, so that yeah, I cheated a little bit there. <laughs> There's not, I can't really think of one that, that I, usually I just throw code out there that. Uh, <laughs> you, and, you just throw cold code out and it becomes gold. And <laughs> no, no, I just throw, throw code out there uh, and, and it and lands on deaf ears or deaf <laughs> or, or, you know, blind eyes. <laughs> no one uses it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't typically, because it is a lot of work to repackage things and make it uh, into a distribu- distributable uh, package, right? So I don't really do that a lot. Uh, I, more often, I put sample code up of, of, you know, stuff that I've done, like if I've written a class that I'm proud of or something, I'll write a blog post about it and I'll post the class in that blog post. I mean, that's more typical of, of this kind of stuff I've done uh, mm-hmm. in the past. So, yeah. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, a good example for, for myself, at least, of where I had a plugin that was a personal project that turned into something that was distributed and turned into a business was Easy Digital Downloads. Uh, it started as a little tiny plugin that I built for my own website to sell, a pl- to sell another plugin. Um, and it, it stayed that way for over a year. And I just kept it like that. And then over the course of that year and another six months or so, slowly expanded it out to have additional features and make it work for other people. So I think it's, I think it's a great way to get, get started, especially if it's kind of some of your first, first projects or plugins. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt. I mean, if it's something you find useful, that's, that's a good way to get started. Um, but just beware. It's, it's not, it seems so easy, right? Like you've developed it. You feel like you've done the bulk of the work, right? But then yeah, you've done like 10%. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit more than that, but not much. It, it's, it's a lot of work to get a plug-in from your own personal use uh, out there into the yeah. world and, and publicly consumable. So Definitely. Yeah. Well, um, anything else to add before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. Maybe uh, keep sending your questions in. Uh, we, I know that we don't always respond to them right away. Sometimes it takes us a few months, but we'll definitely keep doing our uh, mailbag episodes every couple of months. So keep sending your questions. Yeah, and uh, I guess also keep submitting reviews on iTunes. Uh, you know, the more uh, reviews we get on there, uh, the more it promotes the podcast and more people uh, find out about it. So yeah. we really appreciate Absolutely. those. Well, thanks for chiming in, everybody. Catch you next time.